Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy Zerden, your host, and this is one of my favorite parts of my job. Uh, made possible by we do two things. We help community-minded companies save time uh, processing their sponsorship and donation requests, but then we also make good loud. We love to share stories of good, and so as I said, this is one of my favorite things. I get to meet new people. I think people are fascinating. I love to find out what makes people tick, what's your motivation behind things, especially what's your motivation and why do you choose to do good in your community and what does that look like? Because for every person it's different, which is great because we don't all want to do the same thing. We all need to do different things in the community. So today I am excited to introduce to you Mr. Brent Allen. He is the Lifestyle Director for River Sports OKC. We're going to talk more about what that means. Um, he is also the founder of River Protectors. He is a member member of the Cherokee Nation. Do you want to give us a brief, you're, we were talking before about um, some of your ancestry. You've got some cool ancestry in there. Right. It, uh, um, you know, some of it, I really didn't know how much of it was true because it was just passed along from through the family. But when Ancestry.com came out and uh, had other relatives really look into qualifying information, um, I found that, uh, yeah, our family tree was all the way back um, through the Trail of Tears, and um, uh, relatives are in the book of the Trail of Tears, and one of one of my relatives is Will Rogers, and, uh, and I believe two of uh, um, the chiefs of the Cherokee Nation and 1800s and prior were uh, part of our family tree so uh, very much connected my grandmother was actually born in uh, Oklahoma before it was a state so we actually have three generations that were from here before statehood wow so yeah that's cool Will Rogers has some of the best quotes ever uh, my favorite is uh, never miss an opportunity to shut up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because, you know. <laughs> I know I give that some thought myself. Once, once it's out there, it's not coming back. So, no. you know, uh, it just, you know, that's a good thing. And then um, I also saw on your Instagram that you have full-time change maker. What does that mean? Uh, I think uh, over um, my life at 55, I've, consciously um, been very purpose-driven in everything that I've done and uh, understand uh, all of our my role and um, how I can uh, change things for the better, whether it's people or places, uh, the environment. And so uh, I do. And uh, whether with kids, adults, I've coached for a big hunk of my life of people doing uh, endurance sport racing. Um, I've been a race announcer and commentator in endurance sports um, uh, from North Carolina to the Hawaiian Islands for over 21 years. And so just like today, I'm very conscious of what we say and how it affects people and even uh, um, mentorship of kids um, and uh, just... Uh, being a good example and uh, walking the walk and what you do in life. And uh, I just put that at a high priority. Yeah, That's a brave thing to do because people fear change. 
<laughs> Change isn't always easy. Very often it is hard, but very often it is necessary. So thank you for having that be one of your banners. Brent Allen banner. I'm a change maker. I love that. True. So give us a 90 second snapshot of you. You're from California originally? Uh, no, we're, I'm from Oklahoma. Oh, okay. I've, uh, um, I grew up here in Oklahoma City. And so from Wiley Post uh, Elementary School, Hefner mm-hmm. Junior High School, Putnam City North, and then went to the University of Central Oklahoma and uh, got a degree in business and uh, economics. First thing I did out of college, I was actually a police officer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and worked my way through college here at the Feller Schneider Law Firm. And so I thought I wanted to at least find out if I uh, could get in and go to law school. So I applied and got accepted at both law schools. I applied at OU in Oklahoma City and went into law enforcement, went up to Tulsa and uh, we had some issues with the, the city and money, and it was just a bad scene that uh, um, changed that direction in my life where I went from something I would have been, you know, you're completely vested in as a human being um, to corporate sales. And uh, that translated into me being able to create uh, my first business in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, built around uh, the triathlon industry. So, yeah, and I actually, through that, ended up being on a nationally syndicated radio show based out of uh, Charlotte that um, just was happenstance. And then uh, that evolved me into the event world. People thought I was a radio personality just talking about events I was doing. Um, And uh, um, then all of a sudden I started getting jobs to be a race announcer. None of this was planned. None of this was anything I had background. But the one thing I tell, I tell kids all the time is, you know, if there's, there's two things, no matter what you choose to do in life, that will allow you to be successful. And it is always going to be your communication skills and your ability to problem solve. Mm. So you can take that into anything. And uh, so when you go from law enforcement really about communication skills, except uh, the flip side is uh, pretty dynamic of what can happen if you don't, and uh, corporate sales at a high level. And so it's all um, being able to read what's happening, make a decision, and uh, be clear. And uh, it all just comes out in time. And you are married, single, kids? Yeah, I... uh, I've uh, been married for um, 28 years, but me and my wife, Kelly, started dating here when we were at Putnam City North when she was 16 and I was 17. Okay. We've been together all this time, almost, I guess, 38 years. Wow. So uh, I'm 55 and Kelly's 54. So (laughs) we've been the wild card of the family. We are the only ones that left. Oklahoma, Texas, all of our families in these two states. And uh, when uh, I went to work for the Anderson Window Corporation, that's what put us in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then created my own business in the triathlon industry. And then that's what created the opportunity that actually moved us to Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, (laughs) which was pretty bizarre as far as uh, a job opportunity putting you in a place like that. You've been all over the place. Yeah, it gives you a pretty good barometer of uh, um, 
communication and culture. You know, the cultures are so vastly different, more similar of Oklahoma and North Carolina. But uh, California, um, as far as business goes and just many things, are vastly different and way more built around um, the lifestyle, sports culture, lifestyle culture that actually was the first business I put together out in California. It was the first time I ever did the opposite of what most people do is you take your lifestyle first, things you like to do, and then you put your business into that model instead of everybody thinks, you know, you you have a job and then you fit it in the other way. But uh, you really can create anything you want in the United States of America and be successful if you just choose to do it. Yeah, just work hard. Never changes. Problem solve and good communication yeah. skills. There you go. Winners. There you go. <laughs> so what's been your biggest COVID pivot? Uh to me, I'm pretty easy going on making adjustments to situations uh, for us at Riversport. Obviously, a colossal one because uh, um, being a fitness design place, right as we are coming out of uh, um, the spring, but uh, um, many of the things that we could not do were predicated to us from the city and the CDC that we had no choice in. And so our soft opening based on that didn't happen until May of being able to rent kayaks and stand up paddle boards. And the interesting thing that we found, and I was just having a conversation with Mike Knopp, our executive director yesterday about it, was now we've gone through this whole thing and we've had so many people come through our facility. Um, uh, we've been super fortunate that our business is putting people outside in space mm -hmm. and water and uh, <coughs> people running or riding bikes or being in kayaks on paddle boards. And uh, we had uh, no uh, COVID cases that came from anything of all of the summer months, even with our whitewater center and stuff. And um, one of the interesting things that I was very aware of myself of just uh, the aspect of being in the great outdoors and fitness and being in water and all these things is the mental uh, part of that uh, that is uh, the mental health of our community yeah. and uh, we understood that early on that what we had to offer at River Sport was so important for our community and uh, even years before, we actually had a program that was set up called the First OKC First Respond. And uh, um, our program was put together and funded to allow for us to provide free um, memberships for local law enforcement, EMTs, um, and uh, 911, mm -hmm. etc., to be able to use our facility for that very purpose. To provide that um, mental health uh, capacity of fitness and being outdoors. Um, one of my good friends in California wrote a book called Blue Mind, and uh, his name is Wallace J. Nichols, and uh, all of it is the, is the neuroscience of how water affects humans. And most of us that have been around water and been in water sports, we kind of know it inherently. But this was actually very scientific and absolute economically, everything else of uh, how that affects us. So coming here, 
in the same thing that you could pretty much say to anybody, if you just go sit by a river and just stare at it, do nothing for 30 minutes, and you get up and walk away, it's almost impossible to not feel better. And so um, very conscious of that also. I 100% agree with that. I'm a paddleboarder, and I call it my own little private island because I'm an introvert that lives in an extrovert (laughs) world. And so I can get away from humans. I've had several friends who also paddleboard. They're like, let's go together. I'm like, I would love to spend time with you, but this is my me time. This is my me time. So I'll go, you know, paddle around a lake or whatever for an hour or so, and then I just find a cove and either just lay down and zone out or I'll read a book or I'll fall asleep or it's just so nice. But water feeds my soul, the ocean especially. I, I mean, I 100% get what you mean. And people, especially this year, we need things that are feeding our soul. We need things. And so that's really cool that you guys are offering that to especially people who – their stress was probably higher, the first responders, I would think, definitely. So that was really cool. I like that. Yeah. I like it's, that. Uh, um, it's part of, uh, you know, being in a community. Mm-hmm. It's really the support mechanisms of the things that are created that um, allow things to be better for the people that live there. Absolutely. And the MAPS program you know, the whole design of that was creating this whole other extraneous uh, design of what surrounded our city. And for someone that grew up here and knows exactly what it was like before any of it began working in the First National Center, um, it is mind-blowing and it is uh, dynamic in uh, the world. And so now we're just to another phase of building out and investing in such a beautiful setting which is the environmental part mm-hmm. that uh, is the next layer of how uh, we as a community um, have to uh, evolve and to protect the area that we live. Yes. And uh, um, most of it is we're just, it's the next right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so then it makes it fairly simple of people collaboratively coming together to problem solve yes. and move forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely want to talk more about that for sure. But we have listeners around the world. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what all River City, um, River, River Sports, OKC, all the things that you guys can do that offer there. I mean, it's it's grown. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, for someone such as myself that has watched this happen from afar because of working in the outdoor sports industry, Every time we've come home for Christmas and the holidays, I've always kept tabs on the evolution of how this is built out. And uh, so it started in 2006. And originally it was um, the creation of a body of water to allow for um, collegiate rowing and boathouses. So it introduced rowing to the region mm-hmm. and provided a, uh, a race course and a place for people to train. So none of that was here, and that was something that evolved from the beginning of this with Mike Knopp, the executive director, is is the absolute visionary. I've met a lot of people throughout my life and sport and stuff, and and he is uh, pretty special on what he's been able to never give up on to create. So you started with two boathouses, so then you have collegiate rowing, 
You also have master's kids programs, this whole evolution part. The next part that was built out was creating and getting it established as an Olympic training site. There's 11 Olympic training sites in the United States. We have three Olympic training centers in the United States. That is Lake Placid for winter, um, Colorado Springs, our high altitude training facility, and then Chula Vista, California, about three miles from the border of Mexico in Southern California. And so um, you have to go through a whole barrage of things to get qualified as an Olympic training site. So we are an Olympic training site for pretty much sculling, rowing, all different types, singles into um, the larger boats, and then also for sprint kayaking. Um, And then what has happened since then, the next part that they started to build out, the University of Central Oklahoma built their own boathouse, and that was actually from Title IX. And so the Title IX monies that gave more money to the women's sports um, allowed them to build this beautiful boathouse, and they're actually a powerhouse in rowing, um, 2018-19 national champions. And then uh, the next part was the Whitewater Center. And so this Whitewater Center, there's only two in the United States, and uh, they are um, engineering marvels of hydrodynamics. It is, the more I've been there and seen how it all works being a water person, it just really is so impressive. It's beyond. And so just to give people how big of a deal it is of what we have here with that, they create, um, we have two different channels that run down, a recreational channel that's about 1,200 feet long, and then a competition channel. When we say competition channel, these are Olympic-level competition channels of how much, these are Class three rapids. Um and so here, in a couple of weeks, we'll actually we'll have uh, the Olympic uh, team for whitewater kayaking here training at our facility. Originally, they would have been qualifying for the Tokyo Olympics at our facility at their qualifier back in May when everything fell apart. And so, of all things, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, you can learn whitewater kayaking. You can go whitewater rafting down class three rapids and it has these huge pumps. The thing holds 560,000 gallons of water and has these six huge pumps. And when you crank those up, um, it is uh, um, one of the most dynamic training facilities for whitewater there is outside of uh, Charlotte. And it's just kind of weird that Charlotte was another place that uh, we had lived. Um, lastly, we've been building out um, the last section of our acreage, which is there's a pump track, and, uh, and it's blue, and it's actually one of the few in the country also, but it's like a perfect training design for BMX racing, and BMX racing is massive in Oklahoma, and it is another Olympic sport. Got into the Olympics in 2008, and uh, so that whole Part of our facility we have built out created a mountain bike course we have set um, we have I think four other smaller pump tracks set within um, we brought in a container that we have there and we call it base camp and then had local muralist uh, Jack Fowler come paint a beautiful mural around it we just created a deck on it and so we had these outdoor October events where we had BMX racing, outdoor movies, 
Um, we've got a fire pit out there. People can uh, kick back and relax. So it's a whole other setting of lifestyle sports. And the other thing that was just put into place, it's almost, I can, there's so much that's going on. It's unbelievable is we got uh, a surf machine called a flow rider. And uh, so it is basically, um, if you think of a swimming pool that's 25 yards by 25 yards, about five feet deep, that's the base. Then they put a piece on top, and there is a mat that's like a trampoline and very dense material. And so the water gets channeled through the base, goes through plates that are about two and a half inches wide, and it comes out at 25 miles an hour. So you can get on it and boogie board, and it is like you're in a standing wave that never stops. And then they also have these... Uh, um, boards that are similar to the size of a snowboard or a longboard skateboard and that's what you surf on this and uh, but the skill set of board sports and balance is almost a cross-section of many of the things that we have at the facility so you can actually surf at in Oklahoma City at our facility and uh, um, on top of that they the original MAPS money when they created our Whitewater Center didn't get the funding to finish out the top section of our whitewater building. So that money came through. So now the second floor of our facility is under construction, and that is actually another place that was purposely designed for uh, um, venues for people to have meetings and stuff and sit on the outdoor decks over the uh, surf machine. We have an outdoor fire pit that's out there. And then I was just told by Mike the other day, that we're going to have this huge ski machine put in that is one of only a handful in the country where you actually, it is, I have to see the graphics to understand it of really how it works besides that it is the real thing of learning and being able to snowboard, ski, and train, which is great for Oklahoma because so many of us over so many years, everybody, I did as a kid, made trips to New Mexico and Colorado yes. to go skiing every year. Mm-hmm. And so um, we really are becoming in this lifestyle sports mecca of all these different sports um, that are all compulsory. And we have a design that most people, I don't think, really understand here in our community. You could start as a child here and get introduced to our programs of being, of rowing or sprint kayaking and now whitewater kayaking and you could get right into the olympic pipeline if it was your dream that you wanted to do or actually our rowing kids classes for rowing and our teams most of these kids get scholarships almost i mean it is high level our coaches are high level coaches and so um, uh, one of the great things about being a foundation and a nonprofit is how much funding we get to provide these types of things to people that can't afford it mm-hmm. and programs and camps that we have through the summer months. And uh, I, I want our community to understand that much better of all these things that are available. And it doesn't matter um, if you have the finances uh, to do it. One of the things that we actually did that had to do with the mental health part at the front end of COVID was um, we were able to get some financial support to provide, I think, 150 memberships to local people that um, were uh, 
out of work from COVID mm-hmm. to give them free memberships mm-hmm. to be able to come and uh, get out and use a facility and uh, do these things. So it's so big and there's so many things that are happening all the time. One of the other things for the dog lovers in the community will totally dig is this uh, franchise in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. It's called Bar K and it is a uh, a bar restaurant that you can bring your dogs to. Mm-hmm. So that's got this whole build out of a whole forum of things your dog can do, you can do with your dog. And uh, they have um, uh, locked into the final piece of property on uh, the east end, and that will begin construction December. And so that'll be opening up. Uh, the skiing will be open up, what I've been told, May of. And so it's almost like a whirlwind of even being there to try to keep up with how many things are happening. Uh, one of the other pieces of the property that's being built that was in the works before was somewhat of an agreement or a relationship with uh, um, gaming, meaning uh, video games and the competitions that they have with that and Oklahoma City Thunder. So this already the, the foundation has been laid um, for that of having this um, what's a tent, but it's actually a purpose tent that stays forever that I think kind of looks like the Sydney Opera House. Mm-hmm. And the whole design of this is a, is for competition in the video gaming world mm-hmm. as a facility. So, you know, it's... There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's like, what is it? And then we have two satellite locations. So we have a, a satellite location at Lake Hefner um, by the marina. And so you can learn, uh, kids can go learn how to sail. We have kayak and stand-up paddle rentals. Actually, it's a great place to paddleboard because you can just stay along the south rim and uh, the trees create a block of the, the south wind that's coming through. And then Lake Overholzer, we actually have two different properties, Trailhead Cafe on the inland side and on the other side of the canal, which is basically the North Canadian River, we have the Stroud House, which was the original um, rowing uh, location for Oklahoma City that evolved into this whole big thing. Mm -hmm. So you can paddle straight up uh, the canal, straight into the Stinchcomb Wildlife Refuge and paddle for hours into the great wide open. And I actually had a friend drop me off at the 11th Street Bridge in Yukon, and I just got on my paddleboard and actually went the other way with the river and uh, by myself pretty much 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And you're just out there with wildlife, deer that's bedded down and um, all the herons and cranes and um yeah, You're speaking my language there. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, I've been fortunate enough to be um, to be able to visit River Sports several times. And in my former career, I was in the chambering world, and we got to tour the hydraulics downstairs after the um, whitewater rafting came through. And you're right. That is a huge – it's just amazing. They turned it to the different levels so we could see what it looks like. But I've also been – is it the tall – the glass tower? Do you call that the tower? Yeah, the finish line tower. Yes. Uh, I was in a New Year's Eve party there a couple yeah. years ago, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's just an amazing thing that you're right. We are landlocked yeah. in Oklahoma, but we have all these super cool water things that you can do, and it's outside, and we need that right now. It is 
just that. And it was interesting of what you just brought up was, you know, another big part of what is part of the model there is we have a huge amount of people that rent these places for events. And if people were here back in the day, I mean, American Idol was shot out at the Devon Boathouse, but the finish line tower, the architecture of these buildings are um, just an unbelievable. And uh, when you see it with the sun setting or you have different colors of everything, um, I'm on the second floor of that finish line tower, so nice. I'm looking through the glass at the water. So um, it's, uh, it is very therapeutic, and it is uh, just you realize how, how many people we have, especially kids, out on the water training and learning all these different uh, water sports. We just got um, these new uh, row boats that are um, a lot simpler for kids to learn how to row instead of these big, expensive, long boats. And they're basically like a uh, about a 12-foot inflatable stand-up paddleboard, but they have a, a bracket. Um, it's called the oar boards and a bracket that gets tied onto them, strapped into them, and um, it is actually one of uh, the best ways to learn to row. Hmm. And cost-wise and everything for us, you have something that you can't damage. And so we've had all of these high school groups that come in regularly out there learning on uh, these oar boards. And uh, so, yeah, we have a forever land of creating cool, fun things that build skill sets and fitness and uh, um, keep everybody in balance, no doubt. Well, I appreciate the vision because just the, not just the water things, but the BMX and the gaming, I mean, you're hitting about every demographic right there that you could get out there and get to do some things that you wouldn't normally think that you could do in Oklahoma. So you talked to us about a little bit about the ways that um, OKC River Sports gives back. Talk to me about corporate social responsibility. When you hear that, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? Oh, uh, you know, if you've, for me, having worked in uh, environmental issues in, in the Pacific Ocean for five years, you know, you can look at the, the flip of uh, corporate irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, how um, unacceptable it is. Uh, the beauty of, uh, you know, I, st- I started working at Riversport. I didn't even know I was going to work there when we moved here. I just knew from my background in sport, there's probably something I could do there. And it ended up evolving into to this. Was uh, This is built around our community and providing um, an unbelievable amount of opportunity uh, for kids and adults to learn sports you never would have thought in a million years you could learn in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You couldn't. You wouldn't. It would, uh, so the environment was created. Um, and I don't think that our community understands, again, um, the level of uh, uh, what we offer to help and provide all these different resources for people to utilize. Um, whether, you know, basically if you get a membership or you, you get any of the things that work for things you like to do, you're really just supporting other people in the community 
to get the opportunity to do these things that might not be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a full circle of, uh, um, I don't look at it as uh, anything uh, in the corporate design, even though it's like when you, you can't not, when you look at big buildings and you see these structures and, and it creates an environment I think people perceive to be one thing. And uh, um, I guess the way I'd want to put it is it's way more approachable for everybody in our community to be able to come out and do something and get involved because it is uh, how we stand balanced. And it's just like what you said earlier on, which is kind of the way I've lived my life. Uh, even when I started racing endurance sports in 1994 um, and did my first triathlon, you know, I just enjoyed the process of constantly doing things I did not know how to do to learn it and then go do it. Mm. And it's just, uh, it's a great business model, even though it's a sports model, because it requires daily, weekly checks and balances, adjustments and stuff to do something in bigger designs. And it's always uh, making you thirsty and, and wanting to what is what's something I've just ever I've ever thought of to go do and so here for saying to anybody listening uh, river sport is that so you can learn just about so all these different things pick one mm-hmm. and it gets contagious mm-hmm. you'll start to have a natural order of desiring change and knowing that it's good for you and it's healthy for you and it keeps us uh, humble mm-hmm. and it keeps us students. Um, and uh, that's the one thing the older all of us get, you know. Everybody, you can go one of two ways, stay a student or think you know it all. And uh, <laughs> usually you're kind of, you're stopping the process when you, um, when that begins. So, uh, so you can teach old dog new tricks. If that dog's willing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> you can. If the dog's willing to be brave. brave yeah, you got to get out of your And own try stuff. something new. And sometimes, you know, that that's just another part of coaches. You know, the whole purpose behind that of a good teacher about anything is being able to see through certain things to allow for someone to move out of their comfort zone and um, excel. Mm-hmm. And then you grow in other ways that you wouldn't have saw. Mm-hmm. That's well, you got to be brave enough to step out and, yeah. and give it a shot. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of opportunities there, that's for sure. So talk to us about River Protectors, because you are the founder of that program, and you talked a little bit about working um, in California and protecting the oceans, and that's a whole um, never-ending process. Um, it, it just it hurts me when I see those barges in New York going out and just dumping trash. Out there. I can't even understand how that is acceptable and how we continue to do those things. But anyhow, locally, talk to us about river protectors. Well, uh, you know, the, the thing I was very fortunate to have already had the experience of was having worked in our largest national marine sanctuary on environmental issues for the for five years before we moved here. So I had this really wide open spectrum of having dealt with all types of uh, um, groups from NOAA to congressmen to the, all the overlapping things that manage the ocean and what lives in it and 
being in a place that is so heavily um, filled with some of our most majestic large marine mammals. Um, and so uh, after having put all this time in and, and actually created a nonprofit back in California that I'm the founder of there called Protect Monterey Bay. Mm-hmm. And the purpose behind it was actually is to create the first California marine sanctuary in the Monterey Bay. And I just figured that out after I found out there were so many things lacking in federal protections in our oceans that the thing that we found out through a lot of due diligence and work is as soon as you cross the coastal line in an inch into the state of California, the waters become the sovereign waters of the state of California. Mm-hmm. So it changed the whole co- equation mm-hmm. of what is possible. Mm-hmm. Other thing that I knew was important at the time were kids. And so actually, as we created that nonprofit, we took four kids under the age of 14 um, and put them on the board of directors to empower them and mentor them of their voice. Hmm. As I was seeing it throughout the world, how many kids felt compelled that nothing was being done. So these our children were the ones saying, this isn't okay. This has got to get fixed. And mm-hmm. I started meeting more and more. So when I got here um, with this background, I, I just came down to the river sport, to the Oklahoma River, to just take a look at the growth. I hadn't been there in a while. And so I was walking down uh, the walkway and just saw all the styrofoam and plastic all along the, the edges. And I was like, wow, I have not seen this much trash in a long time ever maybe and so I'm a doer I usually don't waste much time in problems I'm like okay so I have a friend that created an app called literati and it was what he created it from an Instagram app basically and now it's worldwide you basically can take your phone and through this app you take a photo of whatever trash you're looking at might be one piece might be 50 pieces but it actually gives a GPS location to what that, where that trash is and actually gives a visual so you can't dispute what's in the photo. And you can go back and tag whatever you want to tag of that was a styrofoam cup from this business or that was a plastic bottle from that business. Mm. And so it creates a data field. It's case study. And so um, one of the things that we had done out on the West Coast, my local coffee roaster that I'd go to, They'd always set coffee bean bags out front, and you could basically just give them a donation that they'd give to a local um, uh, charity uh, called Dorothy's House, um, a women's shelter. And so if you just gave them anything you gave them, you could take them. A lot of people use them for farming in their gardens and stuff because they're compostable and biodegradable. Mm-hmm. So I was like, um, well, we, we made cleanup bags out of them with hemp straps. So the whole thing was biodegradable. But then when I got here, it's like, you're going to pick up a bunch of trash. Um, last thing you want to do is put more plastic in another piece of plastic to go to the dump. Mm-hmm. So actually, coffee bean bags are the best thing to use. Um, COVID changed it, where it's pretty much we'd fill these coffee bags that my friend Todd Vinson that I've come to know at Iote Coffee He's has been providing me these nice. bags, us these bags. Nice. Went to Lowe's in Edmond to two different stores, and I said, we're doing this work. And I need grabbers, and I need buckets. Can you guys help? They gave me everything. Hmm. Everything. 
everything I asked for. And so um, I kept cleaning up, creating data, and then I was like, I, you know, you have to lead by example, you, period. So um, that's all I was doing and starting to communicate with more resources in the community. And then I called up uh, Oklahoma City Beautiful, and I said to uh, Lisa Sinar and uh, Crystal Milder, and I was like, why don't you guys just come down? Let's take a walk, and I'll just show you what's going on here. And fortunately, because of the COVID, that section of their year was when they do what they call their litter blitz of getting local groups and stuff to come out and clean up different areas. Well, that had shut so much of that down that this was just a natural pull together of here, we got the trash and we got the place and, we're, you know, we're doing this in a safe manner where it's like I didn't want any groups bigger than 10. Everybody gets spread out, completely safe. We're using grabbers. You don't touch any trash. Everything goes from a grabber into a bucket or under the bags. And, uh, and so we began. And then I'd say now we probably over the span of us starting May-ish of uh, um, creating this case study, we've probably had over 200 volunteers from our community, mm-hmm. um, many that have come out over and over and over to clean up at the Oklahoma River, Lake Overholzer, and Lake Hefner um, for this case study. And uh, we've already removed... Uh, upwards of 50,000 pieces of single-use plastic and styrofoam, mm-hmm. which obviously the whole purpose of doing this is to ID and make specific things that we have the biggest issue with. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, one of the beautiful overlaps that's happened is the city of Oklahoma City adopted a sustainability program, Adopt OKC, which is they got a massive report on how things stand um, and, and what we do with trash and what we need to adjust to and start doing. And we're kind of painted in a corner in a very positive way, which means we've now been labeled as the 25th largest city in the United States. You know, everyone has always known that we have this massive geography for our county and the city, um, and that we've just used these dumps that are now mountains, um, and we've never really established true waste management in a sustainable way where we turn things into money instead of a cost. And so I think we've just hit the right time as we're in a growth part. I think what we're seeing in the Gulf of Mexico and all the states there, the West Coast, of all these natural disasters will start pushing a natural migration of people in those regions to the central part. Stuff's been talked about for a long time. We're just living it now. So our growth, even though we're already in a, been in a growth pattern, might be going up way faster than we ever imagined over the next two years. Mm-hmm. And so we have to get ahead of that yeah. because more people mm-hmm. equals more, more trash. trash. And as yes. we are dealing with they're saying 88 million tons of plastic going into U.S. dumps a day. It doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, part of the issue is uh, why we have to start moving away from things that are used once um, and then don't go away for 500 years. That doesn't, the math.
math doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Styrofoam is probably going to be our first thing that really has to be dealt with because we're one of the last places that that's just been so normalized in our culture of having something that's got a thermal property. It's so cheap and all the stuff, but it is toxic. And it is, as soon as it hits water, it's actually leaching those chemicals into oh, the yeah. water. And if you would have seen how much styrofoam we pulled from just small sections of the Oklahoma River. Um, it's something we just have to move away from. And that's the great thing is that we're creating new economic stimulus models of new businesses mm-hmm. that have never been here, which means distribution of products that are biodegradable and compostable that restaurants use. We're not going to run short on restaurants in the great state of Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. So serving them with what they need and then teaching them the economics of actually how much money they save, I think it's just been, um, it just hasn't happened yet. So we understand clearly with what we're doing. We are at the first part of fixing it, which is bringing awareness and educating our community about where we stand and what we need to do. And the last part is the bigger actionary part of how we start to put in new ways um, to fix these things. And none of them, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel in any level. All these programs and things have already been created in many states and cities throughout the country. All we have to do is start implementing them here. Mm-hmm. So how somebody wants to get involved if they want to get a hold of you? Is, do you have they can to do they, two things. They okay. can go to uh, our website at riversportokc.org uh, and uh, just you put in a Google search, uh, Riversport River Protectors, it'll take you to the page that has the information and you can send in an email to get on our uh, email list. And you can do the same with Oklahoma City Beautiful. Um, because as we build out uh, this collaborative partnership um, of working to change these things, we're just getting more parts of our community involved. And so we've had so many people that are restaurateurs, so many youth groups, so many other singular business owners. And the big part of coming out and doing the work and the case study and cleaning up and seeing it for yourself is then you have your own story mm-hmm. to tell. And um, uh, luckily, uh, Kristen at uh, Oklahoma City Beautiful, that they'd already had a program, a teen leadership program that they did every year. And so they, she just overlapped that into the River Protector. So we just started um, the uh, teen leadership program for the River Protectors program of 13 teenagers from the local area, all from different schools that are now um, directly involved in learning um, all these environmental matters that we as a community have to uh, problem solve. Mm -hmm. And it, without a doubt, will leave our community so much better in so many ways. We'll create new businesses. We'll actually turn dumps into revenue streams of everything from composting and uh, um, being able to do more use with all the things if you just think about the trees right now and think how much money that is of mulch that all that can be put into created how much of that turns into firewood that can be resold and all these things we just have to um, implement programs which which create new revenue Mm 
mm-hmm. and offset because we're in another weird situation in Oklahoma where we have a real tornado situation. How much destruction and how much debris is left that then would have gone just straight to dumps mm-hmm. when we need to actually turn it around and turn it into something that is reused and sold mm-hmm. um, for repurpose. Mm-hmm. I remember when the May 3rd tornado came through years ago that they the dumps would have all these huge piles of mulch and you could just pull up and you could just take them and that was brilliant you know it's a great way to do it because it's not taking space you're getting rid of it and that was a great idea so how many um or how often do you all meet well um what we you know the original design which was the covid stuff provided limiters so at first it was setting up Uh, training sessions to teach people how to use this literati app so when everybody is cleaning we actually are doing data collection because just cleaning up trash does nothing i mean it used to be a feel-good way of we clean up but now we're at a place and as humans that uh, the only way we're going to change it is we have to create the data and specifics of what the trash is and how we focus on that item and how it has to be changed it's just in a very literal part for our whole world is plastic and uh, styrofoam. Um, And so uh, we've kind of just come through the next cycle, which is we still, people can do cleanups anytime they want. We actually have cleanup supplies at three different locations of our sites that people can just go, we're open, they can go get the buckets and the grabbers and the bags and go clean up and do that. And, And now we're trying to create more of the collaborative work effort of the city and us and Oklahoma City Beautiful and other businesses that we're implementing the next phase of, like what I said, education and awareness and never stop doing the cleanup efforts of um, tagging and IDing um, what we're finding. And again, it's the same. It's styrofoam and plastic. And so I'd say for interior states, styrofoam is what plastic is to the ocean Hmm. once plastic gets in the ocean and it gets pulled out and it breaks down over time and becomes tiny little microplastics it's a wrap as soon as it actually gets in the ocean more than not it's a wrap for us as soon as the wind blows that styrofoam cup all of our rivers have river banks everything drops down as soon as that light piece of material touches water it's stuck not going to get blown out up and away mm-hmm. it's going to be following that river if it's in the canadian meaning oklahoma it's going to head to the arkansas arkansas is going to go to the mississippi mississippi is going to go to the gulf of mexico so people need to clearly understand the trash that we create and uh, that's our responsibility is going to the ocean and we are polluting the ocean mm-hmm. and uh and I don't think we take it as much consideration how much we're polluting our own wildlife, too. Mm-hmm. Because birds, fish, they see a piece of anything on water. They can't distinguish whether that's food or not food. Mm-hmm. They eat it. But once it's in them, it's usually not going to go out of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like uh, mm-hmm. um, going to toxify them. Mm-hmm. So if it's fish, guess what we like to do in Oklahoma quite a bit? Mm-hmm. Well, we're probably getting this full circle. It's going to come right back on us. Of, uh, mm-hmm. The fish that we're catching in our bodies of water 
Um, I have no doubt that it's whatever level it is, we've been ingesting these things, which means we've been ingesting more of these things. And so uh, the ocean, it, it was much easier to lay out of because uh, I for three years I went out with uh, a group called Marine Life Studies and they were well researched vessel from NOAA in the Monterey Bay and uh, um, and also whale disentanglement unit mm. so if a whale was seen got caught in fishing lines or whatever um, they'd be the ones to be called certified to go out and um, remove the debris and it's not easy it's uh, um, mind blowing challenging and dangerous and because you're dealing with things that are 66,000 tons um, and I've had a lot of experiences of being with whales and around whales in the water not on a boat but on paddle boards and um, that's what started it was actually uh, September 2014 I was over um, at Stillwater Cove in Pebble Beach California we had a group of humpbacks that had cornered bait fish into this cove and that famous 18th hole right there, Pebble Beach, everybody's ever seen. So I paddled out on a 14-foot paddleboard, and these whales were everywhere. And I went and moved onto a kelp bed and uh, had whales um, going around me for two hours. And uh, then I had a couple of divers come over from Point Lobos um, that saw it. And so as they were there, I was standing on a kelp bed on a 14-foot paddleboard and had two GoPros on. All this is on video. Um, and uh, just looked to my left, and a humpback whale came straight up, what they call spy hopping, and blew out. And I turned and looked right into its eye, and uh, um, it went down just like a high diver in the Olympics, barely made a ripple. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so that was the day that changed me on our responsibility or my responsibility that I took on as a human being to, um, uh, you know, it's our fault. It's our fault. We're the ones killing the most majestic animals in the world, and all they bring us is happiness. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like that. And it's just like I could say that with what we talked about with water. You know, here is an Olympic training site. We have athletes training for the Tokyo Games, and this is the condition of the water in Oklahoma that they're training in. And I'm like, this is not okay Mm -hmm. at any level. we got to fix it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's the part uh, when the realization, and it's probably because of just getting older too, because most of my time would have been spent surfing and all these other things. But when it hit, I was like, that's it. I'm just going to apply all the things I know how to do that I've learned in business and everything else in life to um, start problem-solving these issues, and I'm just going to do it, and I'm not going to stop. And it just went from being in California to coming back to Oklahoma and something that I probably took a higher level of responsibility having grown up here but being Cherokee Mm -hmm. and being – just a natural sense of stewardship of our land and water and what we teach our kids and that uh, um, we need to leave it better than we found it for the Mm -hmm. next generation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm glad that you have young people that are getting involved and um, being on boards. I mean, that's really cool that they're on boards, but they're helping out and being interns. What do you say to people who say, yes, I buy single-use water bottles or 
whatever, but I recycle. Yeah, you know, I probably would have said something different maybe about five years ago, but now the facts are out that uh, as soon as we, uh, all of our ability to ship things out of the United States to other countries that had to do with plastic and trash ended, it's the first time we realized how bad it was, way worse than we thought it was. And, uh, you know, the, the industries that create plastic, um, they uh, falsely said that this is just a very recyclable material, and that was abjectly false. So really, the truth of where we're at with this now is we really, instead of re- reduce, reuse, recycle, it's reduce, reuse, and recycle is becoming a much smaller mm-hmm. part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know when water, when plastic water bottles kicked in, everybody looked at their cells and laughed. Everybody laughed. It's like, they're going to sell water? Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. But now we've gotten so used to it being normalized that we don't realize we're actually poisoning ourselves. We're poisoning our planet. We're doing, we're creating this never ending flow of stuff that doesn't go away. So we're at a break point. We just like anything else we found is counterproductive to the human race moving forward. And we just say that doesn't work anymore. That means it's got to change. So then it makes it kind of simple. So I think everybody, everybody on our planet is on board right now that we're in a new time. And there's no old ways anymore. There's old truths about character and how we live our, who we are. But uh, um, there's certain things we just can't do anymore because there's more people, more of this, and we're, we're polluting ourselves to death and the things that live on the planet. And it's like when I look at different uh, marine life and other things that are going extinct, especially whales, that's a gigantic wake-up call. When you see whales going extinct in the ocean, that's a big canary in the coal mine. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we used to be probably more removed, but now because of social media, documentaries, and everything else, everybody in the great state of Oklahoma can watch and learn and get educated. But with, uh, we have responsibility. And one of the things that evolved from some of my getting better educated on this was the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe up in uh, North Dakota. When they were running the Dakota Access Pipeline through their water source in Missouri River above their tribe, and through ancestral homelands, and uh, and when that was happening, I was just like, "Wow, I cannot believe we're in current times, and this is how people are being treated." That we have basically um, created genocide; they've just obliterated from the place that they were from, and it just bothered me. And I was watching it; I didn't know why it was bothering me so much, and so. Um, my mother passed away in 2016. My grandfather was an attorney in Tulsa, Oklahoma for 50 years. And he actually worked with a lot of tribes, was an honorary chief with a lot of the tribes, but he was in the oil industry when it started. And he got mineral rights when the mineral rights were just being created. When my mother passed away, she had mineral rights from her that went to me and my sister. So I was doing my due diligence on reviewing all these mineral rights. And I found that quite a few were in Mount Trail County, North Dakota, the start of the Dakota Access Pipeline. 
Hmm. And I was like, wow. So I went up there. I drove the county, drove every place where we had mineral rights to see if any dr- any drill sites were on them um, because it's kind of sketchy about how some of that's done depending on where you're at. Went and saw nothing was there. But the next bigger part of why I went up there was to meet with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So I drove down and met with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and I met with the water director, Doug Krogos, and I told him why I was there, my, ba- my family of Cherokee and all the rest of them, just how – that, how much it bothered me what was happening. And, uh, and he stopped, and he talked to me for three hours about what happened, mm-hmm. and I listened. And in the conversation, which I don't recall, I told him about plastics in motion, what was happening with that. And so I then talked with uh, one of the sitting judges and there's a PR person, and talked to her for a while, and they actually then invited me to be able to sit in on the 150th anniversary of the Laramie Treaty with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. It's only for tribal members unless you're invited, and was able to go sit and listen to mm-hmm. them speak. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, they're some of the most honorable people I've ever actually listened to ever in my life of traveling the world. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it just, uh, that was another thing, just like the whales that dynamically uh, changed my uh, uh, thinking of how much I was going to commit myself to dealing with these items and, and helping to make them better. And because uh, some of these things were just so unacceptable, beyond unacceptable to me as a human, I was like, I have communication problem solving. And so I talked to Doug, it was about a year after that, and um, he said, Brent, I want to let you know they talk in very specific context. You know, it's broken into parts, first part of the conversation. Later. He said, since you talked to me about what's happening in the ocean with plastics and how it's affecting the marine life and all that stuff, I've been teaching all our people here at the tribe and our kids here about how we have to change that too. Mm-hmm. Just because we live in North Dakota doesn't mean that we're not part of the solution on adjusting and changing these things. Because every river that's in this country is heading to the ocean mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an interesting thing that I was only going there to listen to them with nothing else. I wanted to understand better so I'd know better. And uh, came out like that. So mm-hmm. um, we're all connected by water. Um, and we all have a responsibility to be... Uh, uh, good examples of uh, changing things, and uh, so pick one and go do it. <laughs> do it. So you were talking about how different restaurants are choosing to use the not styrofoam, not plastic, the biodegradable, sustainable things. Can you tell us maybe some restaurants or some businesses um, that do do that? I know that Plenty Mercantile. They're all about sustainability. They have the cool reusable straws. I know Revolution next door, everything there is biodegradable. Yep. That uh, actually definitely want everybody in our community to know because that's part of this is raising up the people doing the good work in our community. Absolutely. And uh, 84 Hospitality, David Rackley, um, the one that introduced us, uh, just fantastic human being. Um, he, uh, you know, him and 
he would bring groups out every Friday. They did it for eight weeks mm-hmm. or more every Friday, came out and cleaned up. And uh, so part of it, of my discussion with David is they're in one of the most important positions in the city as a group of restaurants of what you do with these things that are the biggest part of really some of our issue of all the stuff that goes out of restaurants mm-hmm. of um, getting on board with finding out more about all of the options that are available of biodegradable um, to go containers um, straws I have a friend um, Jackie Nunez was in California is the person that started the whole straw thing yeah. I talked to her regularly and it was you know, the whole principle on that, which people think it's, you know, kind of uh, strange about the straws was it was more about the specific of just how many things were just given. that We never asked for. We use it for a moment, and then it's on this planet forever. And we realize that, well, maybe we don't need to just give all these things and unless people ask for them. And then we actually even have other options that are biodegradable and stuff like that, whether it's, to me, it's straws. That's one thing, a simple thing. But the next is uh, the package of the plastic cutlery that mm-hmm. they automatically throw in your bag. Mm-hmm. I usually go home, and I'm using my own stuff when we're eating food that we've got to go. But if we just started stabilizing some simple things, don't just give straws. Somebody asked for it, give it to them. Or you can get ones that are... Um, biodegradable and if people don't want plasticware don't just give them when you go to the grocery store to the pharmacy or anything you know if it's a couple of things let people ask if they want a bag mm-hmm. and you want to watch how fast it goes down mm-hmm. it immediately goes down because most of the stuff we never wanted in the first place mm-hmm. we just accept it mm-hmm. covid thing is throwing us for a loop because there's so much of that that there's no giving it back yeah. um and so, uh, you know, I, some of it is just really commonsensical. And if you're a business owner and you start to realize, wow, I could cut overhead by this much money just by not simply doing that, that's the economics of it. Really, it, it, it goes in reverse. People think it costs more if we buy these things that are more complex. All this stuff is totally false um, at every level. If you're able to downsize the amount of stuff you've got going out, to me, if we just talked about composting, you know, for example, in the Monterey Peninsula in that area, um, they have a relationship with waste management that they all know about um, and have containers to put all their food that has not been used that then goes out to waste management that goes into this massive heater composter that then takes it, breaks it down, turns it into energy. That energy then offsets the cost of what's being done there or if it's other things that end up becoming dirt that can be resold that's composted. It's all this whole thing where we're creating sustainable designs or offset designs by just using what we're just throwing away. Mm -hmm. It all has actually has a kickback value on this stuff. And so as soon as we start moving to these systems, we're going to create new economics that we've never had. Mm -hmm. And so... To me, it's, we're not taking anything away from anything. We're actually just evolving and creating a new design that is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. But I actually reduce cost, reduce pollution, and create a better living environment for all of us. 
Well, that's part of your change maker right there. Yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. My mom, we're from Boulder, so, you know, we're kind of granola anyways. And my mom got me started with the little straw that you just roll up and keep it in your bag. And when you need it, you pull it out and it's right there. And it's got a little cleaner and you can clean it out. Um, Blue 7 on May also has all sorts of these reusable things that you can get if you're looking for a place. Plenty Mercantile, they have some of the best bags that you can use because at the grocery store, not just the plastic bags where you put all your groceries in, but you put your vegetables in when you leave. Mm-hmm. And Plenty has these little bags that fold up inside of itself. Mm-hmm. So you can just keep them. I keep them in my backpack. So when they go to the grocery store, and especially nowadays because you got your mask on and you can't get those crazy yep. little plastic bags open anyways. So <laughs> that bag is just perfect. I pop it out, put all my cucumbers in there, and I'm ready to roll. So that's awesome. So tell me about um, or give us your 30-second shout-out. Your whole thing has kind of just been a call to action, which I appreciate. But if you could sum it up, what would you say? Um, you know, I think uh, – we all think someone else is going to do do mm-hmm. something, and uh, I'd say this out on the coast all the time. It's like if you if you're looking for the hero to show up that's going to fix things, go walk in and look in the mirror. You're that person. Mm-hmm. Just pick the thing that's on your heart mm-hmm. that um, bothers you, and start the process of getting educated. Do your due diligence, and begin. And uh, the best thing all of us can be is a good example. Um, and I always say, uh, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, this is all very grassroots. This is all very organic of the community going up. It's the only way it works. Mm-hmm. You get to see anything ever get solved the other way around. It usually has to do with the people, the business owners, the mothers, the fathers, the kids, everybody applying themselves to say this isn't okay we need to fix it so don't wait for someone else begin and that's what this whole design is the river protectors program is everybody show up everybody's got good ideas about how to problem solve and make things better and that's the collaborative good of the community mm-hmm. and people then feel good and inspired because they realize, wow, I really can change things. Mm-hmm. And you can. Mm-hmm. We're just in a hot spot to do it. Mm-hmm. So let's do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> get up. Get up. Get up and do it. Well, thank you, Brent. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. I want to give a shout-out to uh, River City Sports OKC for giving out um, free memberships to first responders and to people who were unemployed or and all the other cool things that they do. And in fact, that you don't have to have finances. You don't have to have the money to be able to go ahead and do these things. So reach out to them and they can help you. I want to shout out to Home Depot for give. Was it Home Depot, right? Yeah, they gave you everything. The stores you in Edmond. I'm telling you, that's a huge, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal just to walk in and say, this is what I need. And they immediately take care of that. So that's super cool. And I love the fact that you have teenagers on your boards that this is a, Everybody listening out there, all you nonprofits, all you businesses that are wanting to start foundations, think about that because they are the people who will challenge the ways that things have been done. Because just because we've done it this way doesn't mean we have to keep doing it this way. Um, Change is good. Change can be scary. But it's not change for them, right? 
it's just a new cool idea. And so I think that's a brilliant idea. I love that. So thank you again. I really appreciate you being here today. Right on. It's been wonderful. And thanks uh, for having me. Uh, uh, we, we love sharing stories of good. So thank you again, listeners, for joining us. Um, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't ever miss somebody's story of good. We at Made Possible love to make good loud. If you are an organization, um, a business, or you're just a super cool individual that is out there making changes, making differences, just like Mr. Brent Allen here today, reach out to us. We would love to share your story. We love to inspire other people to do their own version of good. You can find us at madepossibleby.us or my email is tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at madepossibleby.us. We look forward to catching you next time. Thanks.